This episode of Healing Ninjas was recorded at the Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. You can check us out at brooklynpodcastingstudio.com. We deal with a lot of first-time podcasters, so if you're looking to start a podcast, this is the place to be because we actually want you to succeed and we actually care about your podcast. In addition to having a really, really relaxed and professional environment, we also give a lot of great feedback, tips, and really go out of our way to try to help podcasters with any questions that they may have. So if you're interested, please check us out at brooklynpodcastingstudio.com and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Healing Ninjas podcast, a space dedicated to highlighting the healing stories of everyday people. This podcast is not a replacement for professional support. This podcast may contain content that may be graphic, violent, or traumatic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. The goal of sharing these stories is to help you, the listener, hear how people have struggled in various ways and the steps they have taken to become healing ninjas, individuals who are seeking to master the art of healing. Healing is not a linear process. We all have our ups and downs. This podcast aims to create a brave space for people to share and learn from one another. I'm your host, Hernan Carvente Martinez. Welcome to the Healing Ninjas community. everyone, it's Hernan, and we're back with another episode of Healing Ninjas. And today, I am joined by Roderick Johnson, who was one of the first few people to sign up a while ago. And I was just now recently able to get to actually reach out to him and give him an opportunity to come share his story on the podcast. And so, Roderick, thank you so much for your patience, for your interest in being a part of the podcast. And I'm just really thankful for you for being here. And I'm glad to be here today. So, Roderick, tell us, who is Roderick? Why healing? What made you sign up for the podcast? Because you were like one of the people that when I saw your name, I'm like, huh, I haven't seen you in all of my other spaces. So you were kind of one of the people that I was really curious about just really hearing from and just understanding, like, why healing? What brought you to the podcast? Um, I looked at the uh, general content of what you all were doing. Um, I've worked in a lot of different arenas. Uh, I am a, a survivor of sexual abuse mm. and, um, it took me a while to mentally be able to heal from that mm. and to be able to, uh, rebuild and restructure my life after these things happen. Mm. And, um, I've done, um, articles and interviews with, uh, all over the world. And here in the United States with a number of uh, national um, media outlets. And uh, I'm sure, that, you know, everybody can look up Roderick Keith Johnson and find um, a number of the shows and things that I've done. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was very honored to be able to uh, be able to lift others up and share my experience. Mm. Thank you for that. And, and honestly... Just thank you for off the jump, kind of like sharing that you are a survivor of sexual abuse. I feel like we've had different conversations on this podcast and most of those conversations are usually led by some of our sisters out there, you know, women who have just bravely opened up about some of those experiences. I share in the trailer episode that I'm I'm also a survivor of sexual abuse, but when I was younger, so when I was in Mexico, um, and I know that part of what I saw when you actually signed up for the podcast was that your experience with sexual abuse is very unique. And 
If you're open to it, I would love for you to maybe share that a little bit more so other men who are listening maybe can connect with that on a different level and just really sharing a little bit more about that piece if you're if you're willing. Okay. Um, as a um, black gay man in America, um, I was um, incarcerated 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And upon my uh, entrance into the prison system, I was sent into a maximum secure prison that was not designed for nonviolent gay men. Mm. And upon my entrance there, I was uh, placed um, in one of the worst environments they had. And I was immediately sold into sexual slavery for 18 months. And being sold into sexual slavery for 18 months, I uh, pleaded with prison officials for protection, for uh, safety. And going before all white classification committees, I was denied every time, told that I could get a man. Mm. I was told that um, there's nothing that said a black gay homosexual can't survive in the general population. It was more designed for the uh, white prisoners Mm. who they felt were vulnerable prisoners. Um, I was forced on a daily basis to um, have sex in stairwells, showers, uh, myself. I was bought and sold among various prison gangs. And um, this experience was a horrifying time that went on for about uh, 18 months and going on for about 18 months, finally the ACLU's National Prison Project was uh, able to intervene on my behalf at this time uh this was happening to millions of people that were coming into the prison system Mm. not saying that it doesn't still happen but it's not happening as on a dramatic scale you know when i was there Mm. the um xvlu um intervene had me moved to a protective wing of the prison immediately and found one of the biggest lawsuits in the country against the state of Texas. Mm. That lawsuit culminated into one of the largest movements in the world for abuse behind bars because my case was chronicled as one of the worst cases of prisoner abuse in U.S. history. And being one of those cases, it became the lightning rod that sparked a movement Mm. to stop this within our criminal justice system. Mm. It became um, overwhelming that the United States legislature um, intervened and they basically flew my family, myself and various other people and families who told the same stories. Over this period of time, I made complaints and documented everything that I did. And by documenting everything that I did, it gave credence to the claims that were being made. Because people made complaints and nothing happened. So they had to endure this abuse and go back into society as individuals Mm. that had to live in silence. And by breaking that silence, 
Congress acted on my behalf. They came together and they crafted a bill called the National Prison Rate Elimination Act. Priya. That bill went before Congress and going before Congress, it was um, unanimously passed with bipartisan support and passed into law by, pre- by then President George W. Bush. Mm. And since um, my life took a different um, approach because um, yet people like Oprah Winfrey, Time Magazine, People Magazine that interviewed me for this story and made this story a um, mainstay in people's lives and opened up people's hearts. Mm. And people rallied and they basically came together and we basically did something to stop rape in prisons. Mm. Roderick? I just want to, first and foremost, thank you for sharing all of that again. As someone who is also formerly incarcerated, I know that it takes a lot to just relive that and share that for the purposes of not only educating others, but also making others aware. And more than anything, freaking shout out to you for just all your advocacy work and being so brave and being a proud gay man and 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 I just love you and appreciate you for for being you and and being willing to share that very openly. I know that you seem to already be at a place where you can share it and 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 hold space for it and I think part of what I would like for you to also talk about is in the midst of all of that advocacy, in the midst of all these wins with Congress and you know with officials finally coming to see that this is fucked up. This is not right. We should not be doing this to our people, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. How has Roderick processed those experiences? How have you been able to get to where you are, where you can have this conversation with me and and be able to laugh and smile and, and just be you? Because that, that, I think, is the most powerful part of all this story as well. Well, I think that... Um Considering uh, the gravity and support that I had, um, I was one of the lucky ones Mm. because um, I can imagine how so many people are still suffering right now. But hopefully they have an outlet that they use as well to heal. Mm. Um, I I had the opportunity to meet uh, some of the best um, psychiatric and mental health doctors in the country. Mm. And uh, specifically, Dr. Terry Coopers from the Wright Institute. You know, I always like to give him his credit because he Mm. was a life-saving person. And um, my journey, um, I didn't have time to to reflect. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have time to heal. I was thrown into a situation to where I had to heal on the go. Yeah. You know, um, I was broken. I was um, in a state of depression. At times, I didn't know who I was, what I was, or what my purpose was in life. You know, I felt hopeless. And feeling those um, pressures. I um, 
was able to finally get um, diagnosed and I was diagnosed with a PTSD, major depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder and schizoaffective disorder. Mm. And since I've had to take medications on a daily basis in order to stay um, in a state of sanity to do that. Um, I had to overcome trusting individuals. I had to overcome being able to um, live amongst others, to be able to know that your interest was in my best interest. Mm. And those were the, the hard parts of healing. Um, I was able to um, be able to talk with someone on a daily basis. You know, I was able to um, connect. You know, I had um, 24-hour care, you know, at my disposal at the time. And um, that's not something that we all have. That's not something that's accessible, that's especially when we are people of color mm-hmm. and basically um, come from communities where mental health isn't talked about, mm-hmm. isn't heard, you know, isn't known. We don't know what mental health care is. In our community, we think that if you're mentally ill, you're retarded. Mm-hmm. That it's a person that uh, is uh, incoherent. A per- you know, we don't see the struggle side of a person that walks among us with a smile on his face every day mm-hmm. and and deal with the demons inside. We don't see, we don't think that that's a person. We think that you can get over it. You know, we think that this is just a part of our struggle in our everyday life. and. That's not where I came from, you know. Um, uh, my family were a uh, black middle class family, very religious, church going people. So I was able to grow up in a fortunate home and wind it unfo- wind up in unfortunate situations. Mm. And winding up in an unfortunate situation, I was. Um, the first in my family to ever have a prison experience coming from a family of educators. Um, and that's what a majority of, um, of what I seen growing up, you know, was, you know, positivity, love, um, reaching out to the next person. So that's all I knew. Mm. And I didn't know that, uh, hate, the way that a person could be treated like a piece of meat and thrown to, like you were just thrown to wolves. You know, I didn't know those people existed from the outside of what I had grown up into. Mm. And um, over the years, I had um, grown from that experience to understand that um, I learned of who I was, you know, it was a life-saving moment that uh, I gave credit to God. And, you know, I grew up believing in the existence of a God Hmm. that um, 
I came to accept for myself, not what I was taught. Mm. Because how could something like this, um, how could I be propelled to the top of the heap coming from the bottom of the heap and being um, this person that put a spotlight on something that many people in our society had went through, but they come home to their families, to mm -hmm. their kids. And they've been treated the same way that their wives have been treated. And they come and we didn't understand where domestic violence came from, mm. where these people came home with so much hate and anger towards society, toward family, and just became very destructive people that went right back to prison. Mm -hmm. And so we said, well, hey, you know, this person, these are bad people that come out of this prison system. And when we have bad people coming out of the prison system, these people come straight out and they go right back to drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Of course they go back to drugs and alcohol because self-medication was all we knew. That is so true. We never knew um, going to seek out psychiatric help because we didn't want to be seen, one, as crazy. And two, we definitely didn't want people to know that me with a wife and kids was another man's wife in prison. Hmm. Well, That's something that you never want to see. No, you don't want to see that. And and I just want to kind of elevate the topic of, of mass incarceration for a quick moment. You know, here at Healing Ninjas, we're, we're having conversations around Healing Roderick that I realize are overlapping with all of these systems that people are experiencing, right? Whether it's the education system, mental health system, child welfare system, or the criminal justice system. And, you know, despite all of the experiences that you've had, you have also reflected to this point where I also have been at now, which is realizing that a lot of our people who are in these settings, even maybe some of the ones that caused us harm while we were there, were put in these situations in many ways intentionally by, you know, the people who we quote unquote call our elected officials. And then also people who are just in these positions of power and literally have no connection to us whatsoever or don't even look like us, don't come from our neighborhoods, don't know us. And, you know, That's I, right. what was that? That's right. Yeah. And some of us didn't even come from that background. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, some of us didn't know what real criminals were. We never saw them. Mm. We didn't grow up in those neighborhoods. We didn't grow up in those societies. We didn't know that we explored outside of our comfort zones mm -hmm. to connect with something that we felt was giving us temporary healing, mm. something that made us feel good. You know, I can go down here and get this. And once I hit this or once I smoke this or once I drink this, I don't have this depression anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have that pain in my back, you know, and but eventually, just like with, they say, the opioid epidemic, you know, which is basically prescribed now. Mm -hmm. And you begin to fall in the cycle of addiction. Mm -hmm. 
But instead of falling in the criminal cycle of addiction, as such as the opioid epidemic, which is basically geared toward um, individuals who have the money to be able to afford the health care. And uh, they usually become statistical deaths. We usually become statistical addicts that mm. have to live in the grips of our nightmare. You know, we don't have the ability to be able to take this and die. We have to take this and live. Oh my God. Those words and are we powerful. don't. Yeah, and we don't have the ability to live because we no longer know how to. Mm. without these demons that come after the things we choose. Oh, man. One of our previous um, podcast episodes with um, Arturo, he was uh, someone who shared that piece or that analogy of us living with demons. And, you know, a lot of those are moments in time where we experience some real traumatic event. Like that's where some of our demons come from or that's where some of our behavior comes from. And, you know, part of what I think is really just important for listeners to understand is that what Roderick went through in many ways should have broken the average person, right? Like it should have completely destroyed who he was and... And I just want to honor you, Roderick, for still being here, for being just your powerful, beautiful self, even in this conversation and just sharing your wisdom, right? Because there's a lot of people out there who I know are probably right now sitting in a prison cell and are going through the very struggle that you are currently talking about and advocating for. And we hope they hear this podcast. Uh, I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. I would love to actually, I would love to figure out a way to get this to them. And and honestly, you know, if there were words of just, I don't know, I don't know. I don't want to call it wisdom, but what words would you share with people who are going to listen, right? Because we have a pretty diverse range of listeners. We do not have, you know, particular demographic. Really, this podcast was created to create a space for everyone to just share what healing looks like for themselves, for our communities and you know, I've been fortunate enough to say that our podcast listeners right now are literally from all kinds of backgrounds, have all kinds of stories, and none of them in many ways are connecting to just one audience. They're just saying, this is us. We're all human. We're all people. This is what we need to hear. And so on that, in that spirit, Roderick, what would you say to our listeners who are currently hearing you and are like, wow, how do I help? How do I do more? Or on a personal level are like, I went through that and I don't know how to talk about it or what steps to take right now. What should I do? Hmm. That's an interesting question that um, I wasn't able to answer. You know, like I said, you know, I was the lucky, one of the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. But I can say that after all of my years of advocacy since then what i encourage people to do is find positive spaces within your community mm. do do seek out the help you need mm. don't be shamed into not doing that because i know how difficult 
that compete for you. Mm-hmm. I was a single man. Um, I didn't have a lot of the same things that I, the, the same shame factors that exist for some who can't or who feels like they can't step forward mm. or come forward. Because um, one of the most tearful moments I had was to see another person that was going through the exact same thing I went With my family coming to visitation, this man was probably going through this years uh, during his incarceration. And we were kind of like made friends, quote for quote, because we were considered kids Mm. to these people. And that's where we had to you know, we had to hang as a group, you know, and we were the only support system we had. And um, he was married. And he, um, they were sitting at the table next to us and his kids were um, hugging him and just so proud of, of him as a person. And excuse me, but that's one of the most saddest situations that um, comes to mind. And um, his wife, that these people adored him. You know, he was the leader of their family. And he had to put this persona forward that everything was okay. that he was still the man of that family. And um, there was nothing he could do to make them see him in any other light. And so um, that's something that we have to overcome. You know, we have to overcome and um, find ways to um, become an outlet of hope Mm. for another man that may have never even been in that situation. Mm. And this may have happened to him as a child, by an uncle, by a father, by a best friend, by a family. Yeah, you know, and these, you know, you have to be that striking rock from there. And how do you do that when you have kids that have to go to school and your father told the story of being raped and these kids have to listen to that? You would never want to go through that. So you suffer. You don't want to be the embarrassment, not just for yourself. But you don't feel like you want to be an embarrassment for the people that you say you represent. I'm the man. I protect you. Mm. But I can't even protect myself. And so my encouragement is um, go through those things. Um, You know, medical care now has a lot of rules through what they call HIPAA. Mm-hmm. You know, 
and HIPAA protects your privacy. You know, we can always say I'm going to the store when I'm going to the doctor. Mm -hmm. And instead of coming home with anger inside, I can come home with love for me and love for you on the inside. Mm. Because if I don't seek out these avenues, when that wife who's basically taken over the home as the leader, quote for quote, of the home, because you weren't there. I had to work. I had to pay. I had to do this. I had to do that. I had to take the responsibility. Now coming home without care, I'm insulted by this. Mm. You know, I've been treated, excuse my language, white to bitch for the past five years. And I'm not going to come home and be treated like a bitch anymore. Mm. And I refuse to do this. I refuse to accept it because I can't get a job. Mm. I can't become the home leader because I ain't making but $10 an hour. And you make $22. Mm. I can't put the clothes on the kids back, but you can't. I refuse to accept that position. Mm. Then we become angry and then we tear her down. You know, we make her quit her job. You know, to know you're not going to run this. I'm going to run this. You quit that job. Mm. Then my family starts going through a struggle. Then my family starts going through division because I don't love you. I don't love anybody because mm. I never got the proper healing that I so to avoid these patterns, we must, as men, as individual, even women come home with the same problem. So I'm not just saying this is a men problem. This is also women's problem as well. And the woman don't know how to move past it. So now that I've been abused as a woman by men, you know, I find the love in the arms of another woman. Mm. Mm. that truly becomes my best friend and my soulmate mm. and people don't understand that uh, our homosexuality does not revolve around the sexual key of this our homosexuality revolves around finally finding someone that loves me mm. Finally finding someone that cares about me, somebody that don't laugh at me, somebody that don't um, ridicule me, someone that doesn't make me feel like I'm less than what I am or what I believe in. Mm. And that becomes acceptance. And that's what the whole movement behind the gay movement is, is acceptance. Mm. It's not saying I want to be a woman or I want to be a man. It doesn't define that. What it defines is it defines that I want to be accepted for what I want to be and who I want to be. Mm. And that's the problem in this country is that we're not allowed to be what we want to be because we've lived under oppressive conditions all of our lives. We've been denied education to even know what a homosexual was mm, in our community, or in our communities, it was called punks, faggots, 
And we became one of the most hateful, discriminatory people there were on the planet Mm -hmm. when we were living under a racist, discriminatory regime. Mm -hmm. So not only do we hate the fact that these people do it, but now we hate that we even got people like you around. Mm -hmm. So we were taught the same hate that we fought and marched for for so long to overcome. Mm. And so we have to come and to even make our communities grow. Um, since then, uh, for the past 20 years, I've been one of the nat- you know, um, uh, national advocates. And I fought tirelessly over the years for criminal justice reform, you know, particularly alternatives to incarceration. I've spoken out voicefully for survivors of human trafficking, sexual abuse, um, and mental health reform. Because those mental health services has to come into our community because we didn't have access to those mental due to like having lack of insurance. We could barely go to the doctor just to get past a cold. Hmm. That's known having to spend that hard-earned money that we had to spend to take you to the doctor for a cold. We definitely can't afford to take you to the doctor because you think you're crazy. Hmm. <laughs> this is so, also true. So our economies, our economical states didn't provide for us an alternative other than to choke it up, stand up, and just go on about ourselves, go on about our day-to-day lives, and you better live with it. And, and it's not that you ain't depressed. You need to sit out. You don't have no job. You know, what are you worried about? I pay the bills. Mm-hmm. And we go through this as kids and children. But I get in the classroom and I'm acting out because I can't sit still. You know, no one ever thinks that, uh, you know, I have ADHD because we don't even know what ADHD means. Or we just say it and don't know the actual definition of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 we, we don't understand. Why are you going to school and you don't get good grades? Because mm-hmm. you can't concentrate. What's wrong with you? You know, I mean, you're not, you're intentionally going in there doing this, and you? So I become outcasted and the sibling that gets the good grades mm-hmm. that are not suffering through the things I'm suffering from begins to get the attention. Mm. So now as a child, I feel alienated. Now I'm a teenager. Mm. But I go out here in the streets and my friend offers me a joint or some cocaine or some alcohol. And he puts his arms around me and says, I love you, brother. I'll see you tomorrow morning. And I can't wait for the next day till I can get that same love again. Come on, won't give it to me. Mm. Oh my God. Roderick, that that last piece right there hits home for a lot of my own stuff, to be honest. Um, being able to 
find a lot of that love in the gang life, being able to connect with certain groups when I was incarcerated and and even till now, like the groups that I'm connected to. But luckily I'm in a better space. I've done the healing work. I know the difference between love that is actual love because of me as a human being versus the love that's just like we're here and we're just saying that because that's the only way that we know how to express it, not through the necessarily the actions that we're showing. And so thank you for sharing that, your wisdom for being able to do that. As we're wrapping up, I I would like to ask you one, you know, you mentioned the pre- the Prison Rape Elimination Act, Priya, y'all. I will be sure to put that into the link so that people are aware. Because I don't think there's enough people out there that know that that's an actual thing um, and that there was staunch advocacy around it or that there are organizations out there that do a lot of good work to try to elevate the injustice that is happening in prison systems around the country. I will surely share that. Is there any other way that people can support you, work that you're a part of currently, or or just in general, where people can go to show you love after they hear this episode? Um yes. Um I have um um the I have the opportunity to become uh, one of the most uh, prolific advocates. I have begun leading what they call the Black Justice Resource Group. Mm. Over the summer after the death of George Floyd, I started working with the Black Lives Matter movement as a consultant and fundraising um, advisor. I worked with them for about two months and saw the outpouring of the community into this project, black, white, Hispanic, from all walks of life, gay, straight. And once we um, came into this um, um, uh, once we came into this um, instance, um, I saw the disparity of the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I saw the disparities coming to this movement, um, I saw that there was no leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that there was no leadership, um, um, I took control um, of the situation and I begin a group that is basically um, going to uh, bring this movement together mm. and start addressing these issues we face because what is, what is change? Mm-hmm. Change is better happening. Change is that mental health care. Change is changing everything that I've just explained. Mm-hmm. And if you can change the behaviors, the community, and the barriers, um, then we can start changing our communities to where we can change ourselves. Because mm. we can take away the economics, the all of the barriers we face. That's so true. You uh, know, and those are the things we have to do. Those are the things we need to do. Roderick? Mm-hmm. Roderick, thank you so much for sharing this. I will be sure after this to 
share any links that you're willing to share to the work that you're doing, the organization that you're a part of, and also just opportunities for people to connect with you, whether it's via email or social media, et cetera, whatever works. But I just want to really graciously thank you so much for being so open about such a really difficult part of your journey and also just being able to show the other half of it, which is you where you are now, your beauty, your resilience, your advocacy work. Just shout out to you, my brother, for being able to be that and for being with us here today. And I will continue to also just create more space for other stories like this. So if you know of others, please be sure to send them because we would love to hear from them and, and just know that I appreciate you greatly and I hope that we can just stay connected and support your work moving forward. I love it. And I love you all. Thank you, Roderick. I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast and follow us at Healing Ninjas on all social media platforms. If you're interested in sharing your own story, we'd love to hear from you. Go to www.healingninjas.org and sign up to be featured. We look forward to sharing your journey next.